This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning. Today's Bible reading is taken from the first Bible reading, is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, reading from verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just as he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading this morning is Psalm 139, verses 1 to 18. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and night wraps itself around me, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, 
where none of them existed as yet. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Hear the word of the Lord. Well, it sometimes can seem as if the world is a sad and empty place. The sociologists tell us that we are living in the midst of a pandemic, a pandemic of loneliness. One recent very reputable study has found that 34% of Australians in the 18 to 34-year-old age bracket say they often, often feel lonely and isolated. Now, it may be a surprise to you that it was young people who said this. And yet, what, it is, what this reveals is that we are an increasingly disconnected and isolated people, a non-community community, you might say. It's far too easy in our huge city, surrounded by people, in crowds even, to feel unknown and overlooked, which probably explains in part why we are so desperate to achieve significance of some kind through work or through minor celebrity or even through notoriety. Now, loneliness may be something that you have experienced. And it is a a particularly sharp pain if you are experiencing it. But if it isn't, then you can be sure that there are people around you here this morning who are experiencing loneliness often. We long for contact, to know and to be known. It's part of how we are made. As the Lord God said in the Garden of Eden to Adam, he said it's not good for man to be alone. But are we alone? What may add insult to injury here is not just the feeling of isolation from human contact, but the suspicion that God too, if he exists at all, is far off, not really interested, not really seeing, not really knowing you, far too busy with the complicated business of running the world to be bothered about you and me, not really knowing what it is like to be you. It's one thing for human beings to neglect us, to overlook us and to forget us, but to feel that our creator is far off is to feel something like a lost and abandoned child. The Bible tells us that God is not at all absent from the world, but quite the opposite. There is nowhere that he is not present. Nowhere. He fills all the creation with his presence. The creation is replete with God. He cannot be contained in a particular place or fixed in a particular spot. It's not as if the universe is a jar into which he has been poured. Rather, he is intimately and closely in it, there, wherever there might be, wherever you choose to point, he is inescapable. Remember what we just heard from Psalm 139. Where can I go, verse 7, from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which was the Hebrew word for the place of the dead, you are there. Preaching to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, Paul says, 
In him, we live and move and have our being. He's that close to us. He is not far, said Paul, from every one of us. And even as he was building the temple, that great building, that was the hallmark, the the landmark of Jerusalem, King Solomon said in 2 Chronicles chapter 2, Who is able to build God a house since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him? Now this is very different from atheism, of course, which says that God is not anywhere. God is completely absent. In fact, he's non-existent. And it's different from polytheism, the polytheism of paganism, which although it says there are many gods, has to imagine them rather like X-Men or superheroes with a body and a location. They have to kind of keep popping up in places and being located in particular buildings. And it's very different to what we call pantheism, which says not that God is everywhere, but that everywhere is God, that the universe itself is divine. Of course, when that becomes the Western version, usually an Eastern sort of uh, philosophy, but when it becomes Western, we narcissistic Westerners, we make that out to be something like that we are God. That's how we do it. This idea that everything is God must mean that you are God. Thank you to Shirley MacLaine and others in Hollywood. But this is not the God of the Bible. God allows his creation, its separate existence, that is present everywhere in it. (laughs) But we might say, look, if God is there, why can't we see him? I've always felt that God's invisibility in his creation was a little bit of a flaw in the kind of whole arrangement. A bit of an embarrassment is certainly the ultimate image problem since we cannot see him at all. It's not having any image. But in the Bible, God is invisible not because he is deficient or disabled, not because it's a problem, but because he graciously conceals himself. He graciously conceals himself, firstly, because you and I are not ready to see him as he really is in all his radiant glory. That would destroy us. We could not handle that. As God tells Moses, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. He only lets Moses then catch a glimpse of his glory passing by. And secondly, God hides himself because he treats us with gentleness. If we could see it, his presence would be oppressive. But God allows us in his kindness, our freedom to see the world as it is, for what it is. To live in and explore the world, the wonderful world that he has made. Just just as a parent may step back and allow a child to cook the dinner without ever leaving the kitchen. God veils his glory from the creation so that we can see the creation for its own being, for its own sake, and know it for what it is. I think of uh, when in the Garden of Eden, again, uh, God uh, invited Adam to name the animals. It's a gesture like that. Uh, Of course, God could have named them, but he He allows human beings to investigate the world, see into the essence of things and to name them as they are. When we, in the Bible, are shown glimpses of God in heaven, God is radiantly visible as a blinding and overwhelming light surrounded by his angels in all their adoration. 
But God is not up there and not down here. He is as present here as he is there, but simply concealed from our view. When we get those glimpses of heaven, it's as if we're looking behind the curtain to reality, to the reality of all things. All things actually are as they are in heaven. How do we know this? It might be all very well to say that God is everywhere, but how is this of any help? Is God everywhere like security cameras are now everywhere, simply impassively watching us make a mess of things? Or like the great social media companies are everywhere, collecting data, or simply collecting, farming us for our data? The key here is that the Lord God reveals himself to us in various ways, and in various places. He is generally unseen and unheard, but he makes himself known to human beings by appearing to them from time to time in place and place. Now often we've got the wrong model in our heads of how things are. The uh, Australian songwriter Nick Cave once sang, I don't believe, this, this is not going to be a Nick Cave impression, I don't believe in an interventionist God. Now, that was the first line of a love song, which is a very Nick Cave thing to do. It's a very strange way to start a love song, right? But I don't believe in an interventionist God. That's an interesting statement. An interventionist God is a mostly absent God. We imagine looking down from heaven, occasionally sticking his finger in the world to intervene. He's only present intermittently. No wonder Nick Cave didn't believe in that God. Neither does the Bible. Neither do I. God is everywhere, but he reveals himself to us at particular times and places so that we finite human beings who can only be in one place at once, despite what my kids want me to do, can know him. His presence becomes visible to us because he invites us into relationship with us. And that's how we human beings do relationships at particular times and particular places. We should think of the miracles of the Bible like this. and They're not weird interventions from afar, but revelations of what actually is the case. The sun rising every day is as miraculous as the parting of the Red Sea. A baby's birth is as miraculous as the resurrection of the dead. The miracles are not just in, they're not in a different category. They're just designed to catch our attention. When someone asks me if I believe in miracles, I say, I believe in miracles because there is stuff. Existence. That is the miracle. The miracles that we read where, are where God shows us, just breaks through and shows us how things really are. And though God is everywhere, he also promises to be particularly present to his people to save them and to sanctify them. We think especially in the Old Testament of the temple in Jerusalem, that extraordinary building that was known as the house of the Lord. It was where Israel went to meet with God, to do business with him, to interact with God. But remember what Solomon said, even as he built the temple, you can't contain God in a building. The Lord does not dwell in buildings made of human hands. To think of God being contained in one spot is a pagan idea. But because we are space and time-bound creatures, God invites 
us to places and times to meet with him so that we can know him as he knows us. And in particular, he does that in one intense moment in time, in one particular space, one place, and that is with Jesus. And we now turn to Jesus. Jesus was, as Paul tells us in Colossians, the image of the invisible God, filled bodily with all the fullness of God. One of his names was Emmanuel. We heard that in our first reading, uh, the reading from the gospel today. God is with us. In Jesus, the full presence of the invisible God who is present in all the earth was made visibly present and available for us. We sometimes say to one another in times of distress, don't we? We say, these are good words to say. I'm here for you. Great words to say. I'm, I'm here. And what we, what we mean by this is we mean to indicate our support and our help, our availability for when the other person calls on us. God is here. But in Jesus Christ, we see that he's not like a dad hiding behind a newspaper, kind of pretending to listen. He is here in Jesus Christ for you. God with us means God with us, alongside us, in solidarity with us, knowing what having a human body is like, even to the point of death, to save us and to bring us home. In Jesus Christ, we find that God with us means God for us. But God's presence, Jesus' presence on earth was, of course, for a very short time, a very long time ago and far, far away. Have we now been abandoned all over again? Must we hear echoes of his presence but not know it? Well, that is not Jesus' promise. We don't have to know his presence only by a rumor or by somehow remembering it. He says to his disciples as he prepares to return to heaven, At the end of Matthew's gospel, he says, Surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. In John's gospel, Jesus promises to send the spirit of truth, the counselor, some translations say the comforter, who will guide them and be Christ's presence with them. On the first day of Pentecost, the spirit came down on the apostles, visible as tongues of flame upon them, which we're sign remembering by the balloons, by the way, in case you were wondering, by the color red, giving them courage to speak of Jesus in front of the crowd. And the New Testament now speaks of the Holy Spirit as now living in us as individuals and as the body of Christ. God is present to us by his Spirit We always have been in his presence, of course, as Psalm 139 tells us, from our very conception in the hidden places. But by his spirit, God is present to comfort us, to change us, to convict us of our sin, to guide us and to strengthen us. Our bodies, says the Apostle Paul, are temples of the Holy Spirit. And just as the priests took care of the temple as a sacred place in the old days, so are we to care what we do with our bodies, to see our bodies as the sacred home of the Holy Spirit. Think of that, what we do with our bodies, sometimes our shambolic bodies, love them or hate them as we do. We we need to remember 
that the Holy Spirit resides there. The Spirit of God is intimately present with you, in you. You may feel it or you may not, but he is as close to you as can be, knowing you better than you know yourself. You are intimately known. But also, the Spirit of God is present with us collectively as his people. The church is called the temple of the Holy Spirit too. He lives among us. So we rightly remind ourselves that when we gather, that God, when we gather, that God is present here. As we gather, as we open God's word to listen to him and pray for his spirit to be active amongst us. And so we are called to treasure this gathering, this community, as a place where the Spirit of God calls home. It may look mundane as you look around you. It may look fairly ordinary. But God is intensely present here. Not because we've built a beautiful building, but because the people of God gather here to meet with him. Now, this is sometimes a bit of a distraction here for us at St. Mark's because this is the most beautiful church in Sydney. Is that right? Can I have an amen? Yeah, amen. That's right. This is the most beautiful church in Sydney. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary. We're very, very blessed. But God is not here because it is a beautiful place. God is here because his people gather here. And it is beautiful, I think, because God's people have said we need to... It's an expression of our love for one another. But its beauty is not a sign of God's presence. He is here because we are here and because of what we do here. Now, sometimes, I don't know if you can see it today, but sometimes uh, you may be sitting in during, uh, during a sermon and reading what is on, written on one of the beams above me here. Can you see it from the back here, which says, Reverence my sanctuary. It's just written here. And again, that might be a little bit a little bit distracting for us, actually, because it, it may sound as if God lives up the front of church somehow, up this special front place. And yet that's not what that is there to remind us. It is there to remind us that God lives here, among us, in us as we gather, in this community as we live together, as we seek to love one another and be God's presence to one another. And that, as we seek to cultivate and treasure and cherish that, we'll be reverencing God's sanctuary. So then, we are not alone in the world. God is present, which means you cannot hide from him. God is the one from whom no secrets are hid. He knows the thoughts of our hearts. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Adam and Eve tried so hard to hide from God in the garden, so high that they came up with this vegetative haberdashery. Remember that? The fashion made of fig leaves that really wouldn't have lasted a day. Right? <laughs> Just hopeless attempt to hide from God, and it would be laughable if it weren't so tragic. It is absurd to think that God cannot see us, that we can conceal things from him. The darkness is not as darkness for him 
Just because human eyes cannot see does not mean that we are unseen. But we do so often convince ourselves that the things we do in secret from other people are also secrets we hide from God. But God is present. God is there when you are on your own. So we need to live not in secret but in the truth, not lurking in the darkness but living in the light, whether on our own or with others. But God is present with us, not to expose us and to destroy us, to shame us and do us down, but to save us and to show his love for us. His presence mean that we are, means that we are never abandoned. What does Psalm 23 say? Do you remember? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even in the valley of the shadow of death. Even then, in your loneliness. Even in the cancer ward. In your divorce. In your failures. In the prison. In your grief. And even in the grave. Yes, even there, God is with you. He will not abandon you, even to death. He knows you intimately and he treasures you. And sometimes you will feel this tangibly and sometimes you will not. But it is true. He has searched you and known you. You are not forgotten, overlooked or insignificant. Should history pass by and your name be erased... From human memory, you will not be forgotten by the Lord God who knows you. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, even though we only know God in a partial and incomplete way, we are fully known. And that is his divine love. And this is why I pray for people in the way that I do. I, I pray when particularly when people are in distress, and you might like to use this prayer as well, that, you will, that people will know the comforting reality of God's nearness, that people will feel his presence tangibly with them, that he will be evident to them, for he is present. But there's another thing too. God's presence with us calls us as his people to be lovingly present with one another as his church. And the meaning of being present here together is not simple attendance. It's loving presence for the sake of others. We are to imitate God and his presence with us. And as God is in us and among us, we minister his presence to one another by being present with one another for one another. We are present together because of what we can give Although, of course, we will find that in giving, we also wonderfully receive. And I think it's a change, sometimes a change of perspective for us that we wake up on Sunday morning and think, how will I be, instead of I enjoy going to church, it, how will I be present for others here at church? How, how will I minister the presence of God to the others that I meet when I join with them on Sunday? in the community, or during the week indeed? How will I be something of God's presence with them? We felt the ache of absence very keenly over the last two years. 
We've had to overcome all kinds of obstacles to show our presence with one another, even learning difficult software in order to installing programs we'd never heard about in order to be present to one another. And we've come to treasure our belonging to one another in new and surprising ways. Let's not forget that lesson. In a loneliness pandemic, could we not stand out as a community of people that really are a community, that really know belonging to one another as we belong to God in Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit? At St. Mark's, we aspire to leave no one behind. Now that's tough when people are sick and afraid and very often complicated. It's tough when we have so many calls on our time, but it's vital and it's a wonderful privilege. And as we are present to one another in the presence of God, so we will become the place where others come to know Emmanuel, God is with us. So be present. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.